0: number one, and Lord willing, uh, we'll begin today um, probably a, a list of two or three sermons or messages um, on confidence in Christ, and uh, got a couple of messages already together on it, and we'll see where the Lord leads on it, but um, I, I think we live in a day where uh, we have a lot of timidity in our Christian lives. For whatever reason, and I, I believe that it stems from an improper view of who God is. Uh, we many times uh, refer to Him and know Him as being a King of all kings and a Lord of all lords. And I'm afraid sometimes we have an intellectual knowledge of who God is, but perhaps either experientially or in the deeper parts of our hearts and our souls to really try to understand and fully realize that we have great confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ today. He is an anchor. He's not something that wavers or moves. It's not something that uh, we have to fret or worry about. When we come to His Word, we don't have to pick and choose and say, what parts of it are we going to believe and what parts of it are we not going to believe? But because of Christ, we have great confidence. And we're going to look at some of those things uh, this morning And Lord willing, over the next two or three weeks at least, that uh, we'll have some messages regarding this to try to stir up that boldness and that confidence in Christ in the hearts of those that have trusted Him as their Savior. And if you're here this morning, you say, Brother Greg, I don't know if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. I hope I would, but I don't know that I would. Can I tell you this? God wants you to know, and you can know that today. You can know that by simply doing one thing, And that is putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. If you'll trust Him and nothing else, not your works, not your church attendance, uh, not your good deeds, not the good things that you do in life, but trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. He's promised to forgive you of your sin, give you a home in heaven for all of eternity. He'll show you His great mercy and He'll show you His great grace. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter number 5, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So there's no sin that you've committed that God's grace can't cover. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, in a few moments as we finish the service, we'll have a time of invitation where people come forward. And uh, they get spend time praying or doing whatever God lays on their heart to do as far as the decision. If you're here this morning and you're not saved I would invite you during that time to come forward and let us take the Bible and show you how you can have that taken care of today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You can could, you could walk in here lost and no, no hope, and you can leave here with great hope and knowing that I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. A miracle could happen right now in this service uh, by God transforming a life like that. And I want to encourage you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And I want to encourage you in that. Let's look in Philippians 1. If you will, begin reading in verse number 1 and read down through about verse number 14. And Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer. ...of mine, for you all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace." For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning. Lord, I pray that the burden that you've laid on my heart will be easily brought across to the hearts of others. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit will work and will guide and to direct and will illuminate the darkness of our hearts to help us to see this wonderful truth this morning. Father, we do have great confidence in you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, kindle the fire and to keep it stirred up within us, that we would have a constant uh, correct view of who you are. And Father, with that, to have the confidence and the boldness in the Christian life that we need to have once again, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Excuse me. We begin the book as Paul's writing here, and he's got Timothy with him, and so they're kind of uh, uh, greeting the church at Philippi together. The church at Philippi uh, was the first church that Paul established uh, in Macedonia when he got the Macedonian call, when he landed there in Macedonia. He began the church at Philippi. Philippi was a tremendous church and, in fact, was one of the only churches that you'll find in Scripture that Paul writes to where he does not have to correct them for anything. This church was uh, a church that loved God and was sold out and dedicated and consecrated to God and had a membership that just loved the Lord and loved people and loved the gospel. And they wanted everything in their power to be a part of the work of God. And the Bible says when Paul wrote to uh, the the church at Corinth, he even spoke of the church at Philippi and and how they even gave out of their necessity and how they, uh, even in their poverty, in the times of hardship that they had, they were still giving liberally to try to help the cause of Christ as it was being spread throughout the world. And so Paul is greeting this wonderful, wonderful church and he begins the letter, Paul and Timotheus, the servants... Of Jesus Christ well I'm glad that he wrote that because I believe that we miss this and this isn't part of the message this morning but can I say this one of the great needs of this day is for God to have people that will come forward and not say I want a position they don't need to come and say I want some kind of a recognition for my labor he just needs some people to come forward and say Lord I just want to be a servant and by the way can I mention this about servants and masters The servant never has the right to dictate to the master where or when he serves. That's for the master to decide. And Wouldn't it be wonderful if a church could be filled with people who come to God and say, God, I'm not choosing what I'm going to do in helping you. I'm just laying my life down saying, Lord, use it where you need it. I'm a servant. I want to be used where you need me. And Paul and Timotheus both have humbled themselves and their spirits to the point where they considered themselves servants of Jesus Christ. And he writes to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. So this is for all of the brethren that are there. And he says this in verse 2, Grace be unto you and peace. I want you to notice that word. Peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this? When it comes to having confidence in Christ, there's something that God does for every believer that allows us to express and to have confidence in Him. And that is that He gives us a peace that passeth all understanding. The Bible says that He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And God gives those that trust Him as their Savior, that walk with Him and walk in the Spirit, He gives them a peace as they go through life that is unexplainable. If we were to go around the room this morning and have people give testimony of the fact, I promise you we would have some sweet testimonies this morning of people who have gone through some of the darkest trials a man or a woman could go through in life and yet had the peace of God through the middle of the valley. Isn't it a wonderful thing to have a God that gives peace, that sustains us and brings us through the trials that come our way? And by the way, it will help us have a lot more confidence when we see God as that, when we realize that His peace passeth all understanding. doesn't matter what we're going through. He's there with us. I love the story of the three Hebrew boys who were cast into the fire uh, under King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and uh, he thought that these boys were going to be burned up in this furnace that had killed the guards outside because of the heat. And as the heat began to die down and he peered into the furnace, the Bible says he didn't see three men. He saw how many? Four. And the Bible says this, the fourth was likened to the Son of God. He's right there with us. I was listening to a little song the other day, and I had heard it before years ago. It's an older song, and uh, talking about how this, uh, this guy's mom was answering a question for him. And uh, he said, if three went in the fire and three came out of the fire, where did the fourth one go? And mom sang back to him in the song, he's still in the fire and he's walking in the flame. He's waiting there for you and I. And I don't know that it's literally that way, but can I tell you this? Every time we go through the valley, God's there. He's He's the shepherd that takes the flock. He knows exactly where we are. Nothing takes him by surprise. And isn't it wonderful to have a God that gives peace? Paul and Timothy writing to this church in verse number 2 say grace unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that's more than just a greeting, uh, an expression of greeting. As we greet one another in Christ when we come to church it does us well to encourage one another by saying boy the grace of God. It sure has been good hasn't it? I, I hope God's grace is with you. Boy it sure has been with me. People ask me sometimes about certain things in my life, and I'll say, folks, God's given grace. Aren't we glad for that? And God's given peace, and aren't we glad for that? It's something more than just a saying or an expression. But I want us this morning to have our eyes open to the reality of who God is. He is a God that gives grace, and He is a God that gives peace. And he goes on to say in verse number 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for all uh, for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. I love this, and this is one of the key verses we're going to look at this morning in verse number 6. Paul is saying, I'm going to be praying for you, and, and every time that I have remembrance, I'm going to pray for you. And he doesn't end the sentence there. He continues his sentence saying, I'm going to pray for you, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not a once and done thing. It's not something that you come to the altar and you get saved and then you put God on the back burner and say, okay, God, I can handle the rest of my life from now on. Now, I'm thankful that once we're saved, we're always saved, amen? And I'm thankful that once we trust Christ as our Savior, we cannot lose that salvation. But our salvation ought not stop there. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, it says we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And it's not speaking of works to save ourselves, but it's talking about the fact that once we're saved, we're to do works because we're saved. There ought to be a walk with God. There ought to be a closeness with God. And the Bible tells us quite clearly here in verse number 6 that Paul is able to pray and he's able to pray with confidence because he knows that the one who started the work in the hearts of the believers at Philippi was the same one that was going to continue the work until the day of Jesus Christ. What a great promise. We find in verse number 7, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have Uh, You in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record. Isn't it wonderful to be able to say that? That God is my record. He's my witness. He's the one who can testify on my behalf. He is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray. Now, here's what he's going to be praying for, and this is what he's confident that God's going to do as he continues the work in them. Now, so follow me on this. We're here this morning. We've trusted Christ as our Savior. And the day that we got saved, God began a good work in us, didn't he? It started on that day. Are you with me? Stay with me here. Okay, I know it's warm. And I know it's a, a summer day. But God began the work, right? The first day we were saved, he began the good work. And He has continued that good work in you and in me ever since that day. Sometimes those days have been more productive than others. But it's not been because of Him. It's been because of us. We've hindered Him or we've caused the Holy Spirit to be grieved or quenched. But it ought to be the heartbeat and the desire of every believer... If we love God as we say that we do, it ought to be the heartbeat for every day for us to come to him and say, Lord, I want your will in my life today. I want you to continue this great work. And Paul prays and he has confidence in this because he knows that the one that began the work is going to continue the work. So here's what he prays for as we get to verse number uh, 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment I love this verse and I think there's an awful lot to it and it can be read a lot of different ways and a lot of meat in this verse the first thing we find is that God will continue to allow our love to grow you remember when uh, you were younger the first time you um, were infatuated with somebody You, you had a crush on them, you know what I'm talking about and you loved them you thought you loved them I remember driving a bus years ago for our school uh, down in Florida, and there was a little sixth or seventh grade girl that got on the bus one morning, and she always sat next to her best friend, and uh, they sat just a couple seats behind me so I could always hear the chatterbox of what they were saying. And they got on the bus that morning and this girl was just, I mean, she was so excited. This boy called her the night before and she was in love. They were already planning how many kids they were going to have, what house they were, I'm not kidding, this is no lie. She was planning how many kids she was going to have with this kid and how, how, what house they were going to live in, what kind of jobs they were going to have. And they were talking about that on the way to school that morning. And I got in the bus that afternoon to take them home from school. And they get on the bus, and they start talking about a boy again. And I roll my eyes, and I said, oh, boy, I can't believe i got to listen to this again. They said, oh, no, Brother Greg, this is a different one. But in that morning, she was madly in love. What happened there? Now, we look at people in the room today that have been married 40, 50, some of them 60 years. That love is a lot different than the love that maybe that girl had for that boy that morning. Because the capacity to love grew. And can I tell you this? That the day that we get saved, we're excited about our salvation. There's no doubt about it. And we love God. And if we're not careful, we'll let that love stagnate and never grow. And what ought to happen is the one that began the work in us ought to be free to continue the work in us so that our love may abound more and more. The word abound meaning more than is necessary. You don't just love the minimum. (laughs) Could you imagine coming to your wife and saying, what's the minimum I could spend on our anniversary present and you not be mad at me? You don't look to spend the minimum for somebody you love, do you? (laughs) Brother Larry does. He's sitting there shaking his head yes. You all follow me? We, when we love somebody, we give it what? We give how much? We give it all because we love them. And Paul was praying here and he says, I have confidence in praying for this. Where did the confidence come from? The confidence came because he realized that he that began the work in us will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. That our love may abound more and more. Look what it says in verse number 9 in knowledge and in judgment. Boy, this is amazing to me because the truth of the matter is if y'all met somebody who was a know-it-all, anybody ever met somebody who was a know-it-all? And it doesn't mean that they just knew a lot of stuff because there are some people that know a lot of stuff and you never even know they know a lot of stuff, do you? It's not just the knowledge, but it's the puffed up arrogance of knowing that you have knowledge. Do you see that? And Paul was saying, I'm praying that this love may abound in the area of this knowledge that you'll have. You don't come to somebody and speak down to them out of arrogance because of all this knowledge that you have, but that you have a love for them. There's a humility of spirit there. And even in judgment, that there's love. That we are not to be judging one another without a spirit of love. It doesn't say you're not supposed to judge at all. If a brother be overtaken in a fault, the only way we know that is if we judge him. We just don't judge him according to us. We judge them according to what? God's Word. And then we love them enough that we go to them out of a spirit of love. And Paul said, I'm confident of this. I I can pray for this and I can know that God's going to do this. That He's going to allow your love to grow more and more. You won't have to be a little seventh grade girl on a bus who's infatuated with the boy anymore. But you can have that deep love of the Lord Jesus Christ that anchors your heart and anchors your soul and anchors your life. And that you'll have love one for another. And then he goes on to verse 10. That ye may approve things that are... What's the next word here? I love this. That ye may approve things that are excellent. Now the book of Hebrews, chapter number 5, <coughs> talks about those who are in need of the first oracles of God. They've been saved a long time. They ought to be on the meat of the word, but they're still on the milk of the word because they've not grown. Their exercises have not been, or their senses have not been exercised. The Bible refers to it this way, to discern both good and evil. Their ability to discern between right and wrong has not grown. The truth of the matter is, though, the Christian life is more than just trying to decide and determine what is right and what is wrong. For us to simply say, I'm going to make every decision based on what's good and what's bad. I mean, pretty much anybody can, with any kind of conscience at all, whether they're saved or not, can look at a situation and and with uh, great honesty, if they're honest with themselves, they can look at a situation and say, okay, this is a bad thing or this is a good thing. They can make that discernment. The Christian life ought not to be all about choosing between what's bad and what's good. The Christian life and the victorious Christian life, the the life that Christ came to give us more abundantly, ought to be a choice not between what's good and what's bad, but between what's good and what's best. And we ought to always choose the best. And Paul was saying here, I don't want you just to choose what's right. I don't want you just to choose what's good. But he says in verse number 10 that ye may approve things that are what? That are what? excellent. Don't just be satisfied with the bare minimum. If you have an opportunity to do something for the Lord, don't look at the minimum you can do for him. Look at the excellency that you can do for him. How far can I take this? How far can I go with it? And Paul prays for this with confidence for the church at Philippi. He says also that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And this word sincere is an idea of not being spotted or or to uh, to uh, to have a an outward appearance of conformity while inwardly there are things that are hidden there. But there ought to be a sincerity of spirit, a truthfulness, that what people see on the outside is really what has been generated in the heart. That we be not spotted by the world. That we be not tarnished. Um, we all have, uh, can look at different situations that we could find in the news especially in some of the political things we look at and you can say boy they say this but they actually do this and Paul is saying let's be sincere let's be sincere with a heart of sincerity if we say we love God then let's love him if we say that we want our love to abound more and more in this love for God then let it abound more and more if we say that we want to have the excellency of the, spirit, of the, of the Christian life, and not just the status quo. I, my dad used to make a statement years ago, and when he first started saying it, I didn't quite fully understand it. But as I got older, I realized that it was a very truthful statement. He said, a lot of people have enough Christianity to make themselves miserable. And that's all they get. They get just a barely amount. But wonder what it would be like if we could just sell out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we've all seen uh, competitions, whether it be the Olympics or a professional sport event, or uh, even in little league. Some of these places, you got some people that sit in the, the stands, and something good will happen on the field. And you have some of them that'll sit there, and they they won't hardly grunt at anything. They just kind of sit there stoic and and don't really pay them much. They're they're watching the game, but nothing really. Nothing really excites them in the game. Then you got other people, and we call them fanatics. And they'll wear the cheese blocks on their head, and they'll paint their faces half one color and half another color. And they'll get out there, and they'll act like a complete fool in front of God and everybody and on national television, and they don't care because they love that team, and they love what's going on so much for them that really there's great confidence Even though we look at them and say they're idiots, there's a boldness, isn't there? They don't care what people think about them. And can I tell you this? When it comes to the Christian life, let's not be the one that sits in the stands stoic. Let's be the one that gets out there and says, I'm glad I'm saved. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I'm thankful that I have a God that saved my soul. And to be excited about it, and to let people know about it, and this idea of uh, of having a spirit about us of sincerity, and uh, the Bible, this excellent spirit about us, uh, and to have a a, a a spirit that's not tarnished or decayed by the world. I don't think you ought to go out here and put on a show. I, I certainly have been in situations and in churches where I felt like everything they did was drummed up. I don't I don't have any I have no patience for that. But boy, when God's Spirit shows up in our hearts, we ought to be able to rejoice without fear of being uh, ridiculed or or without some timidity about us. I was sitting here one day in the back of the PA booth and I was just doing some work and I had some music playing while I was doing it. And Boy, a song came on that blessed my soul. And the lights were off in here. It was in the middle of the day. I didn't turn the lights on because there was enough daylight and I'm sitting back there working. And I got so excited about that Song, I just sat back in my chair and I went, Well, glory! And there wasn't a soul in here. If you'd seen me in here, you'd have thought I was an idiot. But you know what? God ought to overwhelm us sometimes. And I'm so tired of Christianity that sits down in the molly grubs all day long. We have a God that has saved our souls. We have a God that offers it to every human that's ever lived. And we can't get excited about it. Paul said, I want us to have a confidence in our Christian life. I pray for you, and I pray for you with confidence that God is going to do these things. He says, the reason I have confidence is because He that hath begun the work will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Is He still performing in your life? Is He just as much God to you today as He was the day you trusted Him as your Savior? Is He just as strong today? Is He just as capable today to save your soul from a devil's hell as He was the day you trusted Him with it? Is He just as able to go through the valley and bring peace to you as He was the day you got saved? Oh, that there would be a confidence in the Christian life. I'm so tired of us sitting back and watching the world get here and attack the Christian life and attack the Lord Jesus Christ and Christians sit and cower. We have a God that is all-powerful. And I don't care what the devil thinks he's going to do in the last days. I don't care what he thinks he's going to do today. But I have a God, the Bible says, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And there is great confidence in that. That brings great peace to my heart because I realize that there's not one thing that happens in my life that God does not allow and that God does not mean for my good in His glory. That brings great confidence, doesn't it? Oh, that we can have the confidence of God. The Bible says here as we begin reading verse number 11, being filled. And I want you to see this. The last thing that He prays for for them. Being filled with the fruits... Of righteousness. he saying I want you all to grow in the area of the fruits of the righteousness that God has given to your heart and to your life. The book of Galatians calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy. Peace. Long-suffering. Gentleness. Goodness. Faith. Meekness. Temperance. Against such there is no law. Oh, that we would abound in these things, that we would grow in these things. I remember years and years and years ago when I was young, I was probably Jonathan's age, going to our high school basketball games and watching the guys on the basketball court losing a game. And I used to stand there by the coach in the bench and I'd say, Coach, I promise you, if you put me in the game, I can win this game for us. And I was 8 or 9 or 10 years old. And, and I, in my mind, I had myself convinced that at 8 or 9 years old, I would go in there and I would run through the legs of those guys trying to defend me, and they wouldn't be able to defend me. And I would throw that ball in the basket every time, and it would go in every time. And I was confident of that, but the truth of the matter is, as I tried out for the junior high team that 7th grade year, I was a bench warmer. I couldn't play ball to save my life. I couldn't bounce it. It hit my foot and roll out of bounds. I couldn't catch passes. I couldn't make passes. I couldn't, I couldn't put it in the basketball hoop. And the truth is, I, I, there are some people that are that way in their Christian life. They don't have a whole lot when they start out. And they're content to stay that way. These are the ones that come into church every time the doors are open. They come in, they leave, and nothing ever changes. The heart is never touched. The heart is never stirred. They hear Scripture preached and they never take it home and read it and study it further to find out if there's something there that the Holy Spirit has for them. I remember sitting there that 7th grade year watching every one of those games and every game that we lost that year, I thought, Coach, if you just put me in. I went out that summer and I worked and I worked and I worked and I worked on my basketball game. I came back my 8th grade year and I made the starting 5 on the 8th grade team. I went to uh, varsity the ninth grade year, and guess what? I went from being starting five to bench warmer again. And some people would say, well, I'm content to just be there. I went out that summer, and I worked, and I worked, and I worked, and I worked, and I had my coach come over and help me with some things. And every time I had opportunity or ability to play, I would go and play. My 10th grade year, I made the starting five again. My senior year, I made the all-star team in our tournament. And I don't say that to brag about me because the older I get, the better I was at basketball. (laughs) Seems like it anyway. Some people look at me in this physical physique, and they realize that that's not a far stretch. But but can I tell you this, folks? I share that illustration. Don't, Don't miss the point from the illustration. There are Christians. They sit on a bench, and they're content. While the game is going on, while God has so much work that needs to be done in sharing the gospel, they're content. The Bible says in verse number 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Being filled. The grammatical structure of this has the mindset of a continuous action. Today we wake up and we ought to be being filled with the fruits of righteousness. So tomorrow we can sit back and don't worry about it, right? No. Because that same verse is there tomorrow, isn't it? What are we supposed to do tomorrow? We're supposed to be being filled with the fruits of righteousness. We're to continue to grow in the Christian life and become more and more and more and more of what God wants us to be. Now let me ask you a question. Will we ever get to the point of perfection? No. No. But should we ever stop striving for it? No. Why? Because He which hath begun a good work in you shall perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to continue to work and work and work in you. you. Say, Brother Greg, why is that important? Because if we can realize that God works on us every single day, we can have great confidence in Him. Are we confident in Christ today? Are we confident enough to say, Lord, I want you to To have my life today. Do with it what you will. I want your will. I want your way done in it. Take your hands off of it. You know where anxiety comes from? Christians that are worried all the time. They try to control their life. Well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay the rent or not today. Well, take your hands off of it. Let God take care of it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to to make it through this trial in my life. Take your hands off of it. Let God work on it. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together with heads bound. Father, I come to you this morning. I'm thankful for your word. I'm not really sure who the message is for, but Lord, I'm confident that the message was for someone here today. If nothing more, it was for me. That, Lord, we need to have a growing confidence in you that we each and every day get more bold. Lord, it's interesting to see that Paul prayed for these things in the lives of the believers at Philippi, and he had confidence. And his confidence was not based on the skills or the aptitudes or the resources that the people in Philippi had. But, Lord, his confidence was in the fact that you had begun a good work in these folks, and that you were going to continue to do that good work in those folks, Lord. That's an anchor. That is a rock that we can anchor our our hopes to and our lives to, an unshakable anchor that will allow us to ground.